What's going on, coaches? We're really excited to finally announce uh, what we've been doing with our new website. We've just done a bunch of uh, upgrades to it. We put a little money in it, a lot of time into it. And we've actually added a membership feature. Uh, right now, uh, the free membership's up. Uh, here in the future, we'll open up in August, open up our monthly subscription or a year-long subscription to our uh, premium membership. But right now, our free standard membership's up there. Give you guys kind of a sneak preview of, of kind of what's going to happen in the uh, premium membership, and we'll update that monthly. But with this free standard membership, you'll get to see what's on it, um, and, and we won't update it as much. But it's got some really cool videos, show you guys how, kind of how we install uh, different types of our offense and different offenses as well uh, that you guys would be interested in. So we're really excited about that. We think it brings us another uh, opportunity to really grow, to learn, and then to help uh, coaches as well. Also sets us up to where we can use our website uh, on our virtual summit that we'll be doing next uh, year. In February and in June or July, we'll have two separate ones. We'll kind of let you guys know what's going on with that um, here in the in the next coming months. Uh, but we'll have a lot of coaches on doing it. As um, soon as we know, we get the for sure from the different coaches, we'll let you know. But we're going to have a bunch of them on there. We're going to have it free to watch uh, live. So it's going to be really, really cool. We're really excited to be doing that. So go ahead and make sure you check out the new website. Um, Subscribe to our free membership and, and see what it's all about. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletics programs around the country. Whether you write down your own programs, you have a full-time strength coach, or need tra training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. And that's what we're all looking to do. We've got a lot of kids to get through the weight room, and, and we need to be efficient. We've got to get them in and out, but we've got to make sure we are getting everything out of these kids that we can, and that's what Team Builder helps you do. You can visit their website and start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com, and that's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sideline Power. Uh, Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication, offering cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their program to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one -on -one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every single program. They're family-owned and operated, which we love, with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com. You can email them at info at sidelinepower.com, or you can call them at 800-496-4290. You guys can also go check them out on Twitter. Uh, if you don't follow them on Twitter, they're a great follow. They've got a lot of really good quotes uh, for football. And then last but not least, never least, uh, this episode is brought to you by Skycoach. Skycoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. Uh, I mean, what's better than having a wide shot and getting the butt shot at the same time and getting it a second after the play's over? Uh, not much puts you above the rest 
uh, in a game like that that does, other than maybe having uh, some NFL talent players. Uh, 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Skycoach is the market leader in sideline replay. You can go visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with Will Hewlett. Coach Hewlett is one of the best quarterback trainers in the country today. Currently, he is working for Quarterback Collective, a camp and a training company led by current NFL coaches like Sean McVay of the LA Rams, Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers. Listen as we talk with Coach Hewlett about his football journey as a quarterback from Australia, making his way to the U.S. to play in high school, college, and professionally. The latest research he is using to teach his quarterbacks in training sessions and the skills and attributes the best quarterbacks in the world possess and develop, including the changing of arm angles, movements, and drops to make plays. You can follow Coach Hewlett on Twitter, at Will Hewlett. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, the way we usually do it, uh, Will, is we just kind of let you introduce yourself. Okay. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about kind of your journey in football. I know you got a really cool one. Yeah. Um, so you kind of roll from there and, and let us know where you're at now, and then we'll just start firing questions. And if there's things you want to talk about, we're we're super super non professional. I, like so. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right, cool. <laughs> well, we edited we edited it all out later anyway. So as soon as you start talking, that's when Harper will start it. Perfect. Okay, I got you. That makes sense. Okay, so uh, my name is Will Hewlett. Um, I, uh, I'm located in a small town, uh, well, growing rapidly in Bernie, Texas, just north of San Antonio. Just moved here. Been here about a year now. And uh, I have lived in, I'm uh, originally from Australia. Um, I'm in the, I guess you could say the private uh, quarterback coaching sector. Um, and uh uh you know been involved in quarterback coaching and development for the past uh gosh as as a coach 12 years um have been part of my life since i was about 16 or 15 years old uh and i originally grew up in australia and it's kind of been a driving force for me football has and and specifically quarterback uh kind of figuring out the the most complicated position in sports <laughs> um for the the greater part of my uh my life and and so yeah it's kind of it's taken me through a long journey i've been i lived in florida california uh iowa nevada kansas um and now texas um which allows me to be an authority on on the level of high school football in florida california and texas now so i'll be able to have the best opinion on that but um yeah that's that's i'm kind of at a point now where um you know i've i've ramped down my coaching a little bit I was doing a ton of uh instruction these past you know 10 years and, and now I'm just kind of focusing on you know ongoing education learning a little bit more about the game in other ways from other people and uh but that that brings me to today basically so how'd you get over from Australia was there is there any was there any football in Australia when you were there yeah, I think the best um, analogy would be kind of kind of like rugby is over here um, pretty popular fast-growing uh, small sport. Um, Australia is a, a country of, you know, 22 million people, maybe more now. 
um, and just, you know, perspective, California is 40 million. Sure. Um, and, uh, but we're, it's an athletically focused country, right? So you grow up, um, even though we're, you know, one of the top, uh, elite leaders in obesity, um, you know, uh, like that's, that's, that's a problem there is over there as well. But on the other side of it, talent ID and, and, um, sports, it's, it's part of your life. And I always used to say like, you're not Australian if you can't kick a football and swim, those are the two things. And then when you're 18, it's, you know, drink beer, right? So um, 18 in Australia, not 21. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I had this, I, you know, my buddy introduced me to the game when I was about, uh, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. And uh, I just had this obsession. I always had an obsession, obsession with throwing things growing up. I was that kid that was like, oh, let me see if I can hit that. And, um, and so I, I just naturally um you know became uh the australian version of joe montana in the in the uh uh the playground and he was jerry rice and and that was kind of that was it and then my goal by the time i was 16 was to move to the u.s and become an nfl quarterback and so um you know i i went on an exchange program my my senior year of high school i went to venice florida played for a guy by the name of andy siegel who's been a huge um influence in my life as a as yeah. a ball and probably one of you guys have known him or met him at some point. Um, I think everyone has. And uh, he, he is, um, you know, he got me over here and then I kind of went on this bizarre college journey, um, you know, a comedy of, of errors and um, eligibility, <laughs> injuries and everything. So my, my, my career spanned from uh, transferring to a couple schools. I had a school that I went to, Mountain Area College, actually shut down. And uh, you know, that doesn't happen too often. I went to Duke <laughs> College, went to University of Nevada, had some eligibility issues because of uh, transferring incorrectly. And then I ended up at a small D3 school in Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it was decent. We weren't very good. Um, I had some injuries I played through and, and, and kept me out. And then finally uh, played a little bit of Arena 2 football for the Quad City Steam Wheelers. So just for people that don't know, that's like the uh, – when the arena league was really booming, you know, the arena one league, it was, you know, some guys making some really good money, full-time living, you know, you can make half a million dollars back in the day. And, and, um, we made $250 a week. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I got cut and, uh, I pursued it for about six months after that. And, you know, I made my wife pregnant and, uh, I figured <laughs> I gotta, I gotta contribute a little bit more. So, <laughs> I hung up the cleats at that moment and uh, kind of, you know, over the next couple of years uh, kind of evolved into the coaching side of things. Well, I suppose, I mean, you talk about, you know, all those experiences and a lot of people look at it like, Oh, you know, maybe he, he wasn't that good of a quarterback, mm -hmm. but I think all those ex experiences make you kind of who you are. And not to mention you got to get coached by God knows oh, how yeah. many people. So oh, yeah. you were probably able to, to kind of, you know, compile and put together a coaching style that, that ultimately became your own. And, and I'll tell the people out there, Will is one of the best QB coaches I've ever seen. I mean, flat out, bottom that. line. And then not only that, his coaching style is just super smooth, super, you know, constructive and, and does it in a way that I think he can always get on the, the, the level of a kid. So can you maybe talk about how you kind of molded that thing? Because yeah. honestly, it's pretty fascinating to watch you work. No, I appreciate that, man. Um, you know, I think it, 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 it is a little bit, you know, you've hit it kind of on the head there. Um, 
my frustrations as a player, although it was very, um, you know, disappointing as a, you know, a young adult and, um, you know, everyone wants to get a shot at the NFL. And I, I felt like I, I underachieved greatly. And I don't ever want to point fingers and say, oh, it was this guy's fault or that guy's fault. But I, I did feel like when I finished football, I, I never uh, – I didn't. I didn't reach my, my, reach my potential. And, and, I, and I felt like the quarterback position was, was just – it was so frustrating. And no one could ever tell me, like, well, why, you know, why did the ball do that? Or why am I not throwing it well? You know, how, how should I read this? Or – um, and it was these, these, you know, it didn't matter what level it was always kind of like, you just kind of figure it out and yeah. people's opinions would float around. And then I started, I started researching it when I jumped in as a coach and it got worse. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like not only did I not know anything about how to coach a throw or help a kid that couldn't throw a spiral, start to throw a spiral. I was like, how, how does, how does anyone do that? So, um, you know, the, the, one of the largest influences in my, my quarterback coaching career uh, was, was Darren Slack out of, out of Orlando, Florida, who runs National Football Academies. And, you know, I'll be forever thankful for him because of, of one simple thing that he installed in, in my um, philosophy of coaching, and that is to uh, always ask why, you know, have a reason you know, why you teach what you teach. And, and because it's an, it's an industry that's built on opinions. And, and the problem with opinions is, you know, if some guy won a Super Bowl, then you're going to some, you're going to trust what they have to say. But the reality is that the difference between what we do as a player, um, and I think you'd have a lot of guys admit to this, they don't really know how they did it. They just did it. And, mm -hmm. and, and the window of, of playing time was so large that they always found a way they had time to kind of work on and craft that game. And so there's so many guys that kind of missed the window that maybe if they had the coaching, it would have accelerated that window. And that's how I felt. So that really drove me as a coach. And with that philosophy of asking why, um, you know, it, the mindset is, you know, I, my job is to be a teacher, but um, I have to be a student first. And, and so I am constantly um, trying to, I don't want to say reinvent, but find a better way to do what I do and, and how I do it. Um, and, 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 you know, I want to help others do that as well. And, and I feel like that's kind of where I've arrived at this point. Um, part of it is, is through research and, and study and, and, and countless hours of reading uh, medical journals and, and uh, studies and, and stuff from people that are way smarter with way more degrees. And, um, and then trial and error, um, I've, I, f I feel like for a while there, I, I was coaching more than anyone possibly could in the country. Um, and, and the reason why is I had a, had a facility in Northern California that was a, a, an indoor facility, and it was 100% quarterback development. And, and so all I did I was you know, funded by QBs. And so if I didn't train yeah. quarterbacks, I didn't make any money. We didn't have like, you know, at the end there, I started introducing performance training and and some other stuff to try to offset some of the rent. But at the end of the day, um, the business was built on quarterbacks. And so I would train, you know, 30, 40, 50 hours a week um, of one-on-one of -on -one instruction. And if you do that, just imagine, like most, most coaches do 10 to 15 minutes of individual time, you know, let's say three to four times a week in a season. And yeah. then they have limit, limited, um, you know, access to their players in the offseason. So just as the coaching takes practice, you have to practice coaching. Like you have to learn better ways to do it. And there's nothing better than practicing on a, um, 
you know, a 13 year old that can't throw the football. I mean, it's, it's, it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, it's easy to teach division one talent how to do stuff. I mean, exactly. You know, hey, do this. Okay. Boom. You know, trying to get, so I kind of cut my teeth there and you arrive at this point where, um, you know, the, the facility, we, we do a thousand hours of instruction a year, um, somewhere around that, but some, some of that was group mostly one-on-one and, and, um, you, you'd find a way to get through a lot of the problems and, 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 you know, better ways, um, to, to deliver a message to make it, you know, easy for kids to figure out. Coach, I'm curious. So day one that, that you kind of started coaching, if, if you can say day one or year, yeah. whatever, one through yeah. five, what's the biggest change that you've had as far as what you thought day one and now yeah. what you believe about quarterback? Because, uh, it, oh, that's always really interesting to me oh, is, yeah. is how, how much obviously from year to year and new science and new things come out that, that guys can really, and, and some see it as, I don't know, I hear it in politics all the time that it's a bad thing to be a flip-flop and all this stuff. I've always thought it was almost a good thing. It's like, a, a, you know, you're always trying to find the best way or, or come up with new ideas. And so what, what has kind of been the biggest thing maybe that, that you've changed your mind on from year one to now? Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a couple uh, moments um, that I've had. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so – real big ones that have really like changed the way I looked at everything. And so um, one of those was actually had an athlete um, uh, go to a different trainer. And that was like the first time that had happened in my, my coaching career where, you know, they felt like they weren't getting what they wanted. Hmm. Um, And that crushed me. My ego was destroyed. (laughs) I mean, really, really did. I'm still bitter about it. Um, But, but, but it was the best thing ever because it meant that's really what started like uh, me questioning, okay, well, what am I doing? And maybe how can I improve what I'm doing? And, and so um, that was a really good moment and that's a tough moment to go through. But I think that really started like, you know, there's, there's one thing I did notice is that when you coach a player from over a longer period of time, the more you're with someone, there's a, a familiarity that's kind of built up and it's almost like you become more of an uncle than you do a coach. And the problem with that is, you know, you let things slide a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and maybe that's not everyone, but I, you know, I felt like that, okay, you know, I, I just don't feel like going here again. And, and so one of the things that's changed was that I would, I would, no matter how many times I've seen you, I would act like it's the first time I've ever seen you, um, when we trained. And so what that created you had to kind of prep the athlete. It's like, this is, you're going to, you know, this is not going to be enjoyable all the time. It's going to be really focused on some really um, redundant and, and boring and, uh, you know, movements that are, we're going to get it right. right. And so that's one thing. The biggest change in how I, I looked at the throw, which really shifted everything was I had an, an epiphany with the concept of, of fluidity and, and, and basically what I realized was that a lot of my coaching um, was based on teaching us off of static movements that were within the throw. Okay. And, and so it's like whole versus part teaching. And, and so when we try to teach something, a lot of times, you know, the whole concept is that you break it down into smaller pieces. And so that works on a lot of different uh, types of, of um, you know, uh, you know, like it works in football, for example, like, you know, how to teach a, a block, you know, we're going to break it down into, you know, segments in terms of steps, et cetera. Sure. But the problem is with the throw, 
you know, the way that the brain communicates in a throw is that it's, it's kind of a start and destination concept. And the, a good analogy to look at it is like, you know, it's like Google Maps. You plug in a, a start and a destination. And, and then the middle part is kind of progress. It's going to find the best route from A to B, right? And, and so a lot of the coaching I was doing was inside the route in the middle between A and B in the middle of the throw. Um, and when you make athletes conscious of something in the middle of the throw, um, it starts to slow things down and create um, points of deceleration or inconsistencies in movement. And so um, it really changed my, instead of coaching positions, um, you know, philosophically, I kind of changed to coaching um, the movements and in, in, in this close to the actual skill itself. So there's this, uh, this people call it like the law of specificity or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but basically, the further a skill moves away from the actual, um, the further a drill or, or pattern moves away from the actual skill, right? So, you know, if we want to be good at swimming, um, you know, we practice swimming in a pool. You don't practice it in, on land. Um, you know, you want to get better at throwing, you have to practice throwing. And so when it starts to not become a throw, then you're not really getting into anything out of it. So I thought I was getting stuff out of it. And, you know, the evolution of your players is they're going to get better no matter what, if they're working at things, but I'm spending a lot of time doing drills that really had no translation to, to actual throwing. So the fluidity concept was understanding that the best athletes, the, the guys that had the most experience, they just, they just looked natural doing it. And, and so there'd be a, maybe a little bit of a windup. And so we're so afraid of a windup at, at, with quarterbacks. Um, when the reality is, is, you know, there's a point where like it's Byron left, which slow, uh, yeah. but you know, if the ball drops below the elbow a little bit, it's not a big deal. It's not going to kill him. It's not the end of the world. Right. Because when we take out the fluidity and circular action of the movement, we start making it like, okay, back here, back here, back here. Then it just, it's, it's jagged. It's not smooth. It's like connecting the dots, you know, versus a freehand circle. If you draw a circle by just connecting dots, it's always going to have straight edges. You do it freehand. It might not be a perfect circle, but it's fluid. And so if I can coach the whole movement as fluid and, and, in, and in one piece as possible, then I felt like my kids got a lot better, a lot faster. Um, and that, that was probably the largest change, um, from, you know, take one of my coaching career to take two. Um, yeah. I know you've also been well too big on, uh, you know, you studied a lot of military stuff, Navy mm -hmm. SEALs, things. Yeah. And I'm your, your uh, deal out there was called the range. And I think you kind of yeah. got that through, through yep. studying some of the military stuff. What are some of the things that you've taken maybe from like, uh, you know, creating stress, creating chaos, creating conflict, because, like you've said, you know, being a quarterback, you got to be that eye kind of in the middle of the hurricane, right? You got to be able to remain calm, make plays with things happening very, very quickly around you. So yeah. what, what are some things maybe you've done to kind of, you know, instill that in QBs, train that, teach that? Yeah. Because I think it's kind of a, a thing that a lot of QB coaches miss. I think so. I mean, and I think there's – you got to kind of bucket what you're trying to accomplish. You know, you got to put it in sections, right? So – there's, you know, you got your kind of your um, uh, more of your technical style training, right? So where you're going to work on improving something within the throw uh, where it's, it's it, we're working on changing a movement pattern, right? And so that yep. stuff requires, you know, a lot of explicit, you know, verbal instruction. And then, and then it kind of shifts to the implicit, you know, learn by feel as we get a little bit better at it. And then the best analogy would be with younger players, you know, you're more like, hey, hold the ball here put your feet like this. 
And, and, and so in that environment, we don't want any kind of distraction. But when you're trying to prep a quarterback for Friday night, you know, or Saturday or whatever it is, um, you, you want to uh, create a, a quarterback that comes up with, um, you know, I call them like movement solutions. Uh, and it's a term that's thrown around a lot, but um, they want to be able to have variability in how they move and still have success. Right. And so mm-hmm. the, the greatest thing about, you know, playing quarterback, we can work on the perfect throw, but the perfect throw um, you're only going to get pieces of it in the game. And, and so in, in your training, when you're not working on that technical side, and you're working more on the tactical side. Um, you're going to try to create failure within what you're doing. Um, you you want to create situations where, you know, like the true, um, you know, uh, definition of agility is, is basically reaction to stimulus. Right. And so mm-hmm. you don't get that from an agility, agility ladder. Um, that's not reacting to stimulus. It's, you know, if you can have your quarterback basically multitask, right? And so when they're getting good at, at the, the technical stuff, then we want to create a scenario where they're not going to know what's going to happen and they've got to make this type of throw, you know? And whether that's simple as just like they're going to react to a movement based on the way the coach turns and then, you know, he's going to throw this particular stationary route. Um, anytime you can do that where they're, they're you know, um, computing kind of on a level where they have to be able to make the throw and they have variability in the movement, and it's not perfect fundamentals um, from like the step and throw standpoint, uh, then you're going to create a kid that has a ton of solutions in a game, right? It's like the Aaron Rodgers is amazing when he gets outside. You get Aaron Rodgers outside the pocket, he's, you know, there's no one even close to him. Yeah. And he practices that. He embraces that. So just as much as you work on the technical stuff, you know, I think in your, you know, your, your coaching with, with quarterbacks, you got to work on, you know, when it's not perfect and you got to create those scenarios with your players, you know, whether it's, um, you know, having someone just run at them from an angle and, and how they have to move around and then not locking them into like, Hey, you have to move with your back foot first. Otherwise it's not going to get out fast. Like those things are just, you know, the, the, that's, and it's one of those that's been around and so everyone's done it that way. But if a car's, if you're going to get hit by a car, you're not going to think, okay, back foot, you know, you're going to get out of the way. And so you got to, you create solutions like that for your quarterback where they're just efficient and quick in their movement and, and then react to it. I've always kind of been curious. So, so when you're training a quarterback and, and because there's so many different, you know, things that, that could be happening for a quarterback, right? You, you want to, I would assume, teach them about different fronts, about different coverages, about reads and, and all sorts of different things. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, maybe their high school coach is, is reading half field right? Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe they're reading whole, whole field or, you know, there's just yep. so many different variables. How do you kind of juggle that? What, what do you kind of decide yeah. to, to teach this kid? Or, or maybe you call it an under, but someone else calls it whatever, right? So yeah. how do you kind of juggle all that when, when teaching a kid, prepping a kid for, well, for those kind of things? That, that's a great question. So I would, uh, first off, I'd say like, I am probably, you know, if you're going to come to me, like you want to come to me to, to learn how to do the, uh, the throwing and movement part better. Um, uh, maybe up at the collegiate level, um, high school kids, I think I can hang with a lot of coaches on the, 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 you know, the X's and O's side of it. So I, I really, I really try to understand what, what their coach wants out of them. Right. And, and so there's very simple questions I always ask that, you know, um, what does your coach want footwork wise on this route? And, and the common answers are, are this, they'll give them, they'll give me a very specific answer. Or they'll say he doesn't care, 
And so, you know, <laughs> that's a lot. Sometimes that's not a bad answer though. If it doesn't care one and we're able to work together, then I can help that kid create um, a really good plan. Uh, you know, I'm not recommending that. I think, you know, coaches should do the, do the work and find out exactly what they need <laughs> to do. But it, and in my scenario, sometimes it's it a little that, easier for you sometimes, it does, especially if you get a guy like my coach has to, we have to do it this way. And they have to do it this way sometimes, you know, it's like they got that from, you know, 2003 <laughs> off of, uh, you know, an old uh, YouTube clinic or something. So, um, and, but with, with what I try to do is give them, I fill in the, the gaps, right? And, and so if whatever their process is to read, you know, if they don't have one or they do have one, we try to understand things. And I've learned a lot of this from um, Coach Matt addicts with R4 and, and just being around other guys in the industry that are, that are smart, um, you know, that have a really good understanding of this world. But we're trying to look at things like, you know, the angle of hips and, and, and leverage of defensive backs. So, hey, whatever the coverage is, you know, is this guy really in a position to make a play on this ball? You know, is this the type of throw you want to make in those scenarios? So I try to fill in all the areas where the coach doesn't give them, um, you know, uh, very specific um, answers. Um, and may, maybe it's just, you know, um, body positioning on the drop. We're trying to influence a Mike backer out of the, uh, you know, out of the A gaps to hit a backside dig. And so, you know, we're going to give the quarterback a particular posture on the drop to sell that and then, you know, work back. And, and, and it's always like, hey, your coach, whatever he wants you to do, you've got to do that because he's the one that makes the decision if you play or not. But wherever I can influence in and help and, and, you know, in Northern California, it got to a point where uh, it was it worked really well because I was really respectful of the relationships with the high school coaches. And some guys were like, well, you know, the kids would come and my coach, you know, he'd say, my coach says, just do whatever Will says. And those were, you know, that was fun because I could I could help create and add to what they do. And then others, it was like, okay, here's what we have to do. And, um, you know, as long as I'm doing that, then we can have fun with it. So that uh, that's kind of the, the process I use. I think that's kind of the, the way to do it. I mean, uh, and, and obviously I was, I worked under dub as well and, and learned from you. I, I just thought, I mean, trying to teach guys coverages and rules mm -hmm. based on coverages, I, I thought was just asinine because defenses can lie to you, you know, yeah. or defense defenses can bust, you know, guys, guys can make mistakes and all of a sudden now, well, coach, I thought it was this, but then it was this. And I thought to me, you, know, you create that indecision. Whereas if you get down to the real DNA of it, you know, you're talking about a guy's body yeah. position. That doesn't lie. You know, the, the space that my eyes see, that doesn't lie. And I think when kids could understand those rules, and, you know, and then the timing of where do I need to get it, what does my body position have to be, when they, when they just understand those basic rules and concepts, all of a sudden you see the light kind of click on for those kids. And that's when those, those guys can put the ball in those tight yeah. windows, you know. It was like, Coach, I knew he couldn't make a play on it. I'm like, you're yeah. exactly right. Exactly. It makes, it renders the coverage irrelevant. I mean, it's just, you know, it's all about the leverage and, and that that's, that's been so helpful. Just understanding that it's like, okay, well, he can't cover him. So throw it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, who are some of the guys that, that you kind of uh, watch? I know you, you watch a ton of film, you know, yeah. who would you say are kind of like, you know, maybe throughout history, I know you're kind of a, a football history and a football yeah. buff, you know, what, what QBs are the guys that, that you find yourself kind of gravitating to most of the time and then kind of tell us why? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I think everyone, any, any quarterback coach in their right mind, if they don't spend time watching Rodgers, then, you know, it's like, what are you doing? 
Um, <laughs> so I've done my, my, uh, you know, I, I get my fixes on, on watching Rogers. Um, a lot of the, the pushback when people say, you know, about watching Aaron is like, well, he does all this stuff that, you know, you know, he's a really good player, but don't do that. Cause you know, an Aaron, um, and I, and I, I get that to a certain extent. Um, but I, I think you can learn so much from what he does. Uh, it's, it's like the whole NFL is doing karate and he's got doing jujitsu. He's got some other, you know, techniques he uses where he just breaks rules and makes things happen. But, um, I go there, um, I watch a, a decent amount of Brady, um, Breeze. I'm really, I'm always interested in um, guys like uh, Matt Stafford with, you know, I like seeing guys that have uh, creative arm angles and ways that they play the game and, and things that they manipulate. Um, but I, I, I stick to, you know, the, the top five guys generally every year um, in the NFL, getting a good fix in those. And then, um, then it, but what I'll spend a lot of time doing is, is, watching a lot of the upcoming guys for the draft. Um, I'm always intrigued. So I've, I've down, you know, down a ton of Baker Mayfield film and um, uh, the, the Washington um, quarterback. I've been, I've watched him for the last uh, two and a half years. Um, and, and so, and I'll, I like obscure stuff like, you know, uh, Boise state versus Memphis or uh, Troy yeah. versus, I like to find, you know, what guys are doing at certain levels and what expectations are and what, what different things coaches are doing. Because for me, it's like I, I don't coach the game. So I've got to stay connected to the game in some way. And so I enjoy finding um, some of the, you know, the non-Power 5 schools. I think there's some great stuff out there um, that you can learn and, and just kind of, you know, get a, get a good idea of what, um, what people are doing and what some of the upcoming talent looks like as well. You touched on it a little bit as far as, like you said, you can't do that because you're not Aaron Rodgers. It, mm-hmm. is, there, is there a lot of, of different um, arm angles, a lot of different throwing motions with the NFL quarterbacks? Because I know, I know as far as offensive line, and that's about all I know, mm-hmm. is, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's whatever. The, the five top offensive tackles all look yeah. to me almost completely different. Different yep. stance. They got a different kick set. They got right. – different place they carry their hands you know is that the same thing kind of with quarterbacks and if it is you know how do you decide what's the way and maybe it comes back to like you said your flow state but yeah um, uh, how you know is there a bunch of different ways that quarterbacks do it in the NFL well well, let me ask you with the with the offensive linemen do they those top five guys generally all have the same outcome you know yes yes they win (laughs) <laughs> exactly right. So, so what that and what it really I've been learning about this concept of they call it like movement variability, right? And so as coaches, um, I love this topic. This is this this gets me excited. So as, as coaches, yes. what we do is um, we feel the need to always coach, and and so uh, we mistake uh, outcome variability for for movement variability, right? So basically, it means is that you know, if we want to have a consistent outcome result, then then we have to coach all the variables out of the movement. Um, and and so what we end up doing is we take away, we put in, in the quarterback world, we coach the creativity out of the players. And and I and I think this works on a whole bunch of different levels. Um, so Aaron Rodgers, I think, is so good at what he does because he practices it, right? And, and so he's got a really long leash, meaning in practice, if A-Rod throws a pick, coach is going to be like, oh, I don't know, we might have to st- you know, start 
whoever the backup is, you know, that's not going to happen. And if you could throw 15 picks and that's just not going to happen. Right. But what, when, when Aaron Rodgers throws a pick is because he's trying to see what his limitations are. He's like, okay, let me see if I can do this. So from like a, a tactical side, you know, we, we have the tendency as coaches to, to, you know, don't make that throw, you know, when, some of the, you know, I, I felt like Jameis Winston really separated himself in that, that previous draft um, in a couple ways, good and bad. He would throw some of the dumbest picks ever and then <laughs> make the same throw, you know, three series later and win the game, you know. And it was like, well, uh, you know, what do you do? <laughs> um, and, and so you've got to give guys, um, you know, freedom to a certain extent to, to, um, to fail and, and, you know, we, I'm not saying, Hey, just let your kids throw picks, but, <laughs> um, but you know, if you don't know what your limitations are because you're going to get pulled so quickly, then it's really difficult to kind of, you know, take those chances and see what you really can do. So that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is on the technical standpoint, like really the fundamentals, there's certain key fundamentals that, that resonate. I mean, the biomechanical rules of the throw, you know, um, are the same in baseball, in football, and everything. Like throwing is throwing. It's, you know, ground reaction force uh, into rotational force into deceleration. Deceleration is the one that everyone forgets. Um, and, and um, you know, you create the power from the ground to the hips, you know, shoulders, and then, then the arm. Um, but, and there's a sequence of that that happens, right? Um, and I, and I think there's kind of like a, a standard, if you're within these ranges with your, you know, maybe arm angles, then you're okay. Um, in terms of, you know, the symmetry between your lead arm and your back arm, you know, the width or narrowness of your base. But if you start getting, you know, too long or too narrow, then you start affecting things, you know, whether it's the arms or the legs, you start affecting things in other areas. Right. And so, you know, each player is going to have a level of comfort. Um, but, uh, you know, but stay within a level of control. Um, and, and, you know, it's like the classic, uh, get the ball up by your ear to get the ball out faster. <laughs> and like this is the most false statement ever. Um, but we, we coach it because, you know, we want that, you know, it's like, that's the way it's done. Right. And so I think a lot of times you got to let kids kind of self-discover some things on their own and they come up with their own solutions that, that work best. You know, maybe the way it works is that you, you want a, your quarterback to do a particular drop, but he feels more comfortable taking a jab step for, you know, a full step first, um, a zero step, whatever people want to call it. And, and, but that's not the way we do it. But if it times up perfectly and he feels good getting, you know, doing that, then maybe that's a good solution you should let him do, you know. Um, uh, but generally speaking, the cores are all the same, but you're going to see different arm positions. Um, and I'm a big believer in like, you know, practicing multiple arm angles, um, just to get, comfortable yes. with it. you know, I think yeah, it's the way the game's played. So let's, let's play it that way. Practice it that way. Yeah. I think, well, for me, I, I think golf, you know, yeah. Tiger yeah. Woods, Tiger Woods changed his swing three times yep. and won majors every single time. Jack Nicholas had different swings for different shots he wanted to hit. You know, yeah. you, you look at all the guys that, that have won majors, you know, uh, Dustin Johnson, oh, he's got that bowed left wrist. Yeah, he hits it 370 yards. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. every one of these guys has a different swing, but it's like you said, there, there's always going to be some sort of fundamental that's the same. The ball's ending up – or sorry, the club's ending up in the slot, and yeah. they're able to control that club face, and they're able to put the ball where they want. And then, you know, they can hit the ball different distances. Quarterbacks yeah. are no different, man. You know, they – 
like you said, their, their footwork's going to be very similar. Yep. You know, their core is going to be very, very similar. But yep. that arm angle might be a little bit different. But every time they know where that ball is going because they've done it thousands, if not millions of times. Exactly. And like, you know, one of the common ones for, for so long is, you know, get the elbow up through the throw, right? You need the high vertical delivery to throw over people. And, <laughs> you know, again, I won't not lean on Aaron Rodgers again, but that dude, you know, he plays with his elbow, you know, below his shoulder line sometimes. And he's just, he messes around with it. You know, he's like, what can I do if I do this? And it's all about, you know, so you let, I think you let kids, there's, you know, there's actually, you know, literature out there that, you know, um, uh, says that you, you have, um, when you allow your kids to have variability in, in the movements, they learn faster or they learn better and they, they do find their own solutions that work really, really well within reason. I mean, and uh, if a kid can't throw the football, the way he's trying to do it, okay, and then that's a problem, right? So you got to still be a coach. We're not saying don't coach, but there's a buffer, you know. That's why kids are going to be different, you know. Eli Manning is different from Peyton Manning and their brothers, you know. So um, we don't all have to look the same. It's just some of the core principles have to be the same. No, I, I love that, and and it kind of you know it brings me back to like we were talking about walls with with pass pro. It's like hey, just get them a ton, a ton, a ton of reps, and certain yep. guys are going to carry hands differently and yep. whatever. But if it works, you know, let, let's let it work and let's coachable things with that. So so um, it's cool to hear that. The other big thing about that is we want to get a lot of reps with with offensive line, and just like you yep. said, only better way only way to get better throwing the ball is throw the ball a bunch. So yep. I'm kind of curious just because I'm I'm baseball background barely. But yep. I'm almost no quarterback background. What's what is the uh, is there a pitch count on, on quarterbacks or or what are we looking at uh, when yeah. you look at that? really? And it's funny because there's not a lot of info out there on this, and it's yeah. something that 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 um uh the, I get this question you know peppered at me quite a bit recently, and um so there is okay so this this past fall um. I got, I got into this because it's really interesting to me. And, and so I have a, a, a 12 year old and, and, um, and I was the, uh, the offensive coordinator for our 12 U team. And, and, uh, uh, we went one and nine, so don't worry. <laughs> but I was 22 and zero before that. Anyway, that's another story. Um, but rough year. I learned a lot from the nine games. I will say that. Um, but what was really interesting to me, and this is on a, on a youth level, right? So, um, I, we had this, this sleeve, uh, it's called Modus uh, QBE. Um, it's a company that's produced this uh, technology that for baseball and now it's, you know, trickled into many other sports and it's a little, you know, motion sensor that sits kind of by the elbow or the wrist and um, it tracks, it tracks angles and, and, and uh, acceleration, deceleration, pronation, all these great little uh, metrics that you can help really understand more about your quarterback's throw. But the, to me, like the, one of the biggest value adds of it is just it's a counter, right? It counts how many throws you do. And so I started experimenting in that season. Um, and, and so what we realized is that when we wore it, including um, warm-ups, you know, some of the sun practices we were getting, you know, 47, 60, 55 throws. And I'm like, this is terrible. Like that's not enough with warmups included. I'm like, no wonder we can't throw the ball. Um, <laughs> and, and so what it, what I realized is like, okay, I've got to find a way to get, get the quarterback more reps. And so the sweet spot in this, in this is in season, um, you know, throwing for a youth football team 
the sweet spot ended up being about 100 to 120 reps per practice. 120 was like fantastic. And this is anything. We're talking team, you know, seven on seven. Um, if we hit that 100 rep range, we're doing a good job. You know, you think about it from like a team standpoint, if you get, you know, maybe 20 reps of throwing and then you get seven on seven. Uh, but it really makes you like value, like see how important it is. Like how we, we're trying to be good at something and we only practiced it seven times in, in, in a practice, you know? So like in team is a really good example. Like make sure you get enough reps throwing the football. Um, and how you got to do that? You got to do it. Um, and then find other ways to get that reps in. So that's three times a week. So we would end the week, including games, about 450 odd throws a week. And there was no arm. Uh, that was, we actually got the arm got stronger. We got better every week um, after I started monitoring that. Um, and, and so I imagine the numbers are actually going to be probably pretty similar in a high school range because you're going to have backup quarterbacks or more quarterbacks that are throwing. And so I, I think that's another thing you want to be conscious of. And they're just going to get more reps, right? Because when they throw the ball to each other, one of them's not dropping the ball, it's flying over their head and we're you know, losing three reps because they can't catch or whatever it is, right? And so mm-hmm. you, you're going to bang out more reps. But I think that 100 rep range is a really good um, – you know, workout practice um, number to kind of start with. And then, so I started monitoring in the off season with high school, uh, college, and a couple of uh, professional um, guys, a couple of CFL guys. And so what we found is that in, in, in an hour long throwing session with coaching, we would get about the same. It was about 120 to, you know, 100 reps, depending on the kid. And that was a good amount of throwing, good amount of coaching, good amount of drill work. Um, with drops and everything included. And then that would push to 150 with some of the older kids, you know, and, and what I started realizing, even with some of the, with the, when we went through like a 90 minute range, that when we started pushing 200 reps, um, after 150, you start to see um, a regression in, in the outcome, right? So it's like mm-hmm. we're starting to train to train, you know, uh, point of diminishing returns. And so that kind of leads into like, well, how much do you throw in the off season? And, and so I think there's everyone's going to be a little bit different. You got to take into account what, what other sports kids are playing. Um, these kids definitely need time off after the season. You got to let ligaments and tendons heal, you know, joints are going to come back together. I don't care, you know, how dedicated you are and how it doesn't hurt. Just give them time to heal, force them, do something else. Go play basketball, go play golf, go swim. Um, and then during the off season, you know, I, the way I look at it is like the best way to, to throw is to do, if you can do more, like a higher frequency of sessions per week with not as many reps. Uh, so instead of like training once a week for two hours, could you do that four times a week, half an hour at a time? So you get, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, and I, and I think that spreads out the, uh, lets the brain kind of process better and, and it gives you more um, consistency. Um, and so, you know, it, it could be anywhere from once a week to five times a week. I think you're okay with, with throwing. And I know it's for some kids that throw seven days a week and, and they're fine. Do I recommend that to everyone? Absolutely not. But I've got a couple of dual sport baseball, football guys. I've had a couple that have been, um, you know, at major league level um, baseball players in division one. And, and there's a point where their arm gets tired. Um, but this is, this is amazing how much they can take, um, but you got to monitor it. You know, you really have to. That's what are some things? Go ahead, Walls. I was just going to say, well, along with that, what are some things you're having them do as far as, you know, 
uh, weight training or flexibility or, you know, prehab stuff. Yeah. I know you, you've studied the heck out of that. So I think uh-huh. there's a lot of coaches out there who probably don't study that as much. What are some, what's some advice you can maybe give some of those guys in the weight yeah. room and, and taking care of themselves? Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's, that's huge, man. Um, you know, you can go full Tom Brady and, and do the pliability thing and don't lift a weight and just do all bands. Um, but I think what people, you know, they, they read his book and they, uh, you can go overboard on that spectrum. Um, you know, so I think with the younger, younger quarterbacks in college, you know, the weight room is still a great place to, to be, um, from a, from a throwing standpoint, I think one of the key things is making sure you don't just like pick the football up and start ripping it. You know, you got to have some kind of warm up regime that you do where you kind of just like you get your legs warm before you sprint. Um, you know, you want to get your arms warm before you throw. So don't, don't throw to warm up, warm up to throw. And that's kind of a common term that's been thrown around pretty recently amongst the quarterback coaches. Um, and that could be with bands, uh, you know, weighted balls and, and weighted, uh, not weighted footballs, actual weighted like baseballs and stuff like that, I think provide and there's companies like driveline out in Seattle that have some really good baseball programs that I think translate well into, into quarterbacking. Um, and then um, in the weight room, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I mean, I think this has been preached for a lot of coaches, but, um, you know, form is, is number one, right? And so as throwers, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, rotation through the core, so rotational core movements. Um, I think, uh, you know, the ability to, to squat and deadlift, I think really helps with that posterior chain and building strength through the um, you know, through multi-plane movements. Um, I'm not too big on, on bench pressing, um, any straight bar stuff or a lot of overhead stuff. I think you can accomplish a lot of stuff body weighted with throwers, um, and, and with like plyometric upper body stuff, a ton of pulling exercises. You need big breaks if you're going to go fast. So, you know, rear delts, um, uh, scapular, you know, lats and all that stuff. I need to put a ton of um, focus on those with heavy weighted stuff, body weighted stuff. And then you got your band work. I think we get that high rep, you know, very resistance range. And, and, um, but uh, one of the big things is that spectrum. I kind of stole this from a guy by the name of Eric Cressy. He's huge in the baseball world, but it's the, yep. the continuum, right? And so you have the absolute speed on one side and maximal strength on the other side. And then in between, we have speed strength and strength speed, which basically is, you know, speed strength is how fast we can move it. And strength speed is how explosive we can move something, right? And so as athletes, a lot of times guys only throw and only do maximal strength in the weight room. Or, um, and it's really the spectrum in between, which really tra- translate and help the, the throwing portion of it, right? So if you want to transfer your maximum, because benching 500 pounds doesn't mean you're going to throw harder. Um, you know, it's, it's the ability to accelerate, um, you know, objects is can you put that 300 pounds of force into a 16 ounce ball, you know, and, and how fast can, you know, how fast, what's the rate of force development? So, you know, again, a lot of plyometric work, a lot of stability work. So the ability to, to stop and decelerate is a huge part of things. So like bounding with stabilization, um, you know, uh, the single leg variations are huge for quarterbacks. Um, and then anything we're working on, like, you know, rotational hip fire. And then, and then again, that ability to kind of squeeze and stuff everything. And again, that's the, one of the overlooked areas is we always look at rotational athletes as just rotating, but the rotation yeah. has to stop. 
And when yes. the rotation stops, that transfers into the throw. And that's one of the biggest missed pieces in training, I believe, is we don't learn how to, to stop. We started adding some of that into uh, to our weight program. We went, we went to Nebraska, you know, learning kind of okay. how they, they operate and everything. And, and that was one of the things they did with, with holding. They'd hold a 25-pound plate or a 45-pound plate, and they'd kind of start on one leg and then stick mm-hmm. their outside foot, explode over, you know, one of those short hurdles. Yep. And they'd have to balance on one leg while yeah. holding that. And it's, it's, exactly. it's done a lot, of, a lot of good things for, like you said, our stopping and our agility. So, you know, being able to stop and start, you got to teach them how to stop. Exactly, man. And it's just, it, it translates all to all, all movements is, you know, you want that feedback. Um, there was a study done in, in baseball where the, the number one correlating factor with the velocity of the football wasn't actually the push off the back leg. It was the contact with the front leg. Um, and, and so, you know, it's this uh, posterior anterior push that you get through that lead leg that stabilizes in the ground. And so when you learn to stabilize and, and, and brace that front leg correctly in the throw, that equals more power. You know, it's going to go somewhere. So that's, that's big for Q, QBs, in my opinion. See, there, there's obviously a lot of difficult things for, for quarterbacks that they have to do, but I've always thought that the, the number one reason I would definitely hate to be a quarterback is just way too much warming up. Takes yeah. way, way <laughs> too long. That was that was my least favorite part of playing, and I only had to do it like five or ten minutes to get warmed up. And those guys were out there thirty oh, minutes before and doing their arms back, and then we got to run by and make fun of them. And and uh, yeah. it, it was extremely important, I know, but I think that had to be the worst part of playing court. That and getting killed if, if you had a bat off the line. But oh, I yeah. that'd be an awful <laughs> part of it. Some of those dudes are into it, though, man. I think they're just – there's something so – I was the type of guy, you know, growing up where I was a little bit more on the, um, you know, give me that football, let me see how far I can throw it. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. so, grip, grip it and rip it. Yeah, I mean, deep down, I'd like quarterbacks that are a little more rogue, you know. Yeah, uh, sure. So, I think that's part of it. I, you know, that, that's going to break the, the plan. Um, I actually had a really good conversation with a guy, Josh Johnson, who was in the league for – I think he might still be. Um, yeah. Bounced around a bunch, but he used to tell me, I thought this was, you know, blew my mind, but he said to me, he's like, Oh coach, I don't, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to warm up. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, and, uh, yeah. If I, I, I'm a backup quarterback, you know, when does a backup quarterback get time to warm up? So I like to go in cold. So we'd start. Exactly. I got it. I got a chance. We, we did a session together once. I, I, wasn't, I didn't train him, but we, I was out there uh, taking through a session with a couple other quarterbacks and that um, he wanted just to roll right away, you know, and there's something to that, man. I mean, I think that translates at some point. I don't recommend it, <laughs> sure. but, but uh, Hey man, he's been, you know, he's, he's going to retire a happy guy. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, you were just kind of, you were even talking about, and, and I just listened to it cause we talked about Rogan a little bit before we yeah. got on here. He just had a, uh, a guy on named Faraz Sahabi and they were kind of talking about a little bit, like instead of going and and it kind of translates, but you know, he was talking about instead of killing yourself and going whatever, 20 reps Tuesday, 20 reps Thursday yeah. and dying and being sore for the rest of the week, not being able to do anymore. He yeah. was, you know, you go 10, 10 reps for five days. Now when yeah. you're looking over the whole week, you're at 50 reps and the other guys at 40 reps. So, you know, that kind of got me thinking today too. And, and that's kind of a, an interesting point and, and something maybe I've never heard of. Obviously you have to do some, tougher training at times to get you know some of the mental attitude and all that stuff but uh when you look at it over a whole week now that guy's 
not as sore, but he's gotten 50 reps where the other guy has only got 40 and, and he's dying and can't actually get any more reps in that week. You know, it's, it's a great way to look at it. Um, and I'll let you in on one of my little youth training secrets. Um, <laughs> you brought this up. The best way, you know, because inevitably it's going to happen, right? Dads um, that are coaches have sons that end up being quarterbacks. I didn't pick that for my kid. He picked it. It was, it was actually like, why are you doing this to me? Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, one of the things that we did when we play catch, um, sometimes it would be 10 reps. And that would be it. And and yep. we do these like little mini sessions, like hey, let's go, let's go throw for you know five minutes, and that's it, done. We're we're out. And um, I felt like it was better to do that, um, you know, the frequency over a period of time, rather than like, hey, son, we're going to go to the field and and we're going to be out here for three hours, and you're going to hate me by the end of it. <laughs> you know, um, so mini sessions, man. That was that was that's the. Uh, uh, the key for younger guys, keep them engaged. Cause dude, it's, it's training at that. Those at younger ages is brutal. Who wants to do that? You got to keep it all fun. And all the good ones, man, that are in the game today, they didn't, they weren't, you know, out there, you know, working with a private coach at 12 years old, you know, for you know, three hours trying to figure out how to rotate their index finger better. You know, it's like they were out, <laughs> the good ones were out there running around in the street making plays, throwing the ball behind their back and avoiding uh, their, you know, a dog that ran onto the street or something. So got to have both, man. I, I completely agree, man. And not only that, Will, now you're, now you're saving families, man. You're, gonna, you're just like back in the day when you go have a catch with dad, right? Oh, absolutely, man. Parents, <laughs> listen up. You, you don't ruin it. Stay out of it. I, I, I'd say this um, in, in, I get a lot of kids that, that I train, and, and I had a professor from San Diego State, uh, Dr. Um, Brent Russell, um, brought this to my attention, um, and, and I did some, uh, some Skype calls with him and read a lot of his books and instruction. Uh, really good. He's actually Australian, too, which was kind of cool. But um, <laughs> he said to me, he said to me something really, you know, um, uh, it, it held a lot of weight at the end of one of our calls. And he's like, well, you know, a lot of people are going to come to you for you to add something to their game. You know, they're wanting you to make them better at something. But the reality is what you're going to be doing most of the time is, is uncoaching bad habits. And I, that was like crazy. He's like, yeah, it's going to be like 90% of the kids. And I started realizing what I saw in a lot of, you know, high school or, or youth quarterbacks and even college quarterbacks was, was something that someone at some point had coached in because that's the way they thought it was. And it really, you know, even whether it's dad, I see it all the time. Dad, I saw this, you know, the Eagles quarterback doing this or, and they didn't, he didn't really do that, but they thought he was doing that. Or they heard it somewhere. <laughs> you know, a commentator that said, you know, you know why he's throwing up his back foot all the time. Well, that's, that's how the game's played, dude. But, um, <laughs> Uh, I think what I, you know, I realized that a lot of errors are, are coached in because we're trying to force something to happen. Um, and so I think a lot of times with parents and coaches for that matter, I think, you know, that's why it's so important to kind of let their, their natural throw evolve. You want to give them boundaries and guidelines for what the fundamentals, you know, but there's going to be kids that are going to be a little bit longer in the release than others. There's going to be other guys that are a little bit more rigid than others. And those are the, the, the variabilities that we have to embrace, you know, um, maybe he's got a little bit more of a relaxed pre-pass, you know, um, he holds the ball lower. Uh, he's got, you know, but it, it, you know, check it. The outcome is excellent. Um, then, then, you know, as long as he's uh, consistent, then, then roll with it, man. I mean, don't, don't overcoach it. Don't overthink it. 
Will, I know you've worked a little bit now with uh, with QB Collective. Yeah. Um, you, you have some pretty some pretty big name guys, and a lot yeah. of them are you know what they call you know oh this this new wave or yeah. younger younger crew of of coaches. What we we get a, you know a ton of a ton of GAs, a ton of guys trying to move up in in the business. You know, what are some attributes you've seen from those guys? Yeah. that you think, you know, other than being lucky and having some dads in the business yeah. that, that get them yeah. plugged in. But at the same time, you're going to get exposed at the highest level if you don't know what's going on. So totally agree. Yeah. What, what are some things those guys have that you've seen kind of from afar mm-hmm. that, that have allowed them to move up the ranks and, and do some big things? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the things I think that have, that have stood out with all those um, you know, coaches has been, uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta really be, um, uh, passionate at, at the most, maybe passionate's not even a good word for it. Right. Cause, uh, psychotic. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because sometimes I, I feel like you, you're going to do a lot of stuff. Maybe you don't want to do when you're kind of grinding at those lower levels. Um, uh, Richmond Flowers is the founder of QB Collective. Um, was came in with Sean McVay to the to the, the Shanahan tree, and he's like that, that. McVay was just a machine, like in terms of his work workload and dedication, and um, the guys in like tip top shape as well. It's like, dude, how do you do all this? But you gotta. I mean, I think there's that level of of, of grit and stick to itness that you need. Um, and you've got to embrace stuff that you don't want to do, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, you got to learn about things. Um, you know, honestly, one of the greatest things for me ever from coaching in football was, um, I quickly realized how important the offensive line was. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I was like, oh my gosh, like I, all of a sudden, like, you know, looking through an offensive coordinator's eyes, I'm like, okay, I'm looking at, I, I've thought everything is QB centric, but if, you know, offensive line play was, um, just so important. And then I started getting interested in this. Now I've got to learn about protections and now I've got to learn about, um, you know, how to get in and out of your stance and, and half slide, full slide, you know, zone steps. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so, but it was great because it was this whole world, you know, now, now I understand, you know, gap schemes versus zone schemes. I didn't know any of that before. Um, Mm -hmm. and so embracing those opportunities to get outside your comfort zone, I think is, is something that that's, you know, been, um, a big part of all those coaches as well they've you know they've kind of had a chance to work on a lot of different areas and and um uh, and I think you got to take that you know maybe you want to be a quarterback coach but right now you're going to be a running back coach and go do it go be the best running back coach out there and it's going to help you it's just you know like my you know uh very uneventful college career playing for a bunch of different schools and coaches um sucked as a player but man it was the best thing ever for me me for a coach uh so i would i would say you know embrace the things you don't want to do and and uh continue to be a student over over being a teacher how much uh offensive line play do you teach uh some of your older older quarterbacks because obviously to them protection is extremely Uh important and then even you know there's probably some stuff that probably doesn't mean as much but it's just kind of general football knowledge is like you said gap and zone and kind of what's the difference to some of those yeah. other guys you get into yeah. much of that or, or um, obviously actually, I know you're busy with the other stuff no well, but I think it's important I think if you want to be a quarterback you're an extension of the coach right and, and so if if I always felt like you could play the position better if you understood what the coach truly wanted out of you and if you understand protection right if you understand that hey you know 
we've only got six in to protect right now and there's going to be seven coming you know or um uh, you know this slide is the wrong direction you know um and, and maybe it's not even that you you're going to adjust it but you you understand just the the numbers game right understanding the box and and that okay so the, this guy's got this guy this guy's got this guy oh gosh you know <laughs> is the, you know and and so i think that's important just to um have that you know those simple equations kind of in your head like okay i need to know where my back's going uh, i need to know where my check down is and and i'm like that's the game at the nfl level like you that's if you don't do that stuff you don't last it's you know check downs and first downs you know uh protections and shifts and and um those side adjustments are, are huge right and so i think but at, that, at the same standpoint understanding you know how that unit moves together um matters so much um for a quarterback because it gives him a you know a freedom within his timeline and his drop to understand what he's got to do and what he what he, maybe what he can't do uh, a lot of guys that have had success at the high school level that i've seen they understand when they're going to get pressured versus when they're not and they make teams pay and that that's the greatest thing too for the unathletic kids out there that play quarterback you know that's, that's another great thing about the position the worst you know athlete on the field can be a quarterback um <laughs> and and if you can identify would you telling me that you know tom brady is an you know an athlete that's equivalent of of someone like cam newton not even close but tom brady's one of the least blitz quarterbacks ever because you'll pay if you blitz him because he's seen it you know so I think those rules stand true for, for high school kids and, um, and college kids for sure. This is an awesome conversation, Harper. I don't want it to ever stop. Yeah. <laughs> QB well, play, a, man. That's yeah. right. Well, that's what I was going to say. What was, uh, when, we had, when I was playing with Case the one year at Houston, um, I, I think we played Rice, and that was, the first, that was the only team that I'd been around. It was Case's senior year, but the only team I'd been around that decided, hey, we're going to play man or, or cover one, whatever it was, and we're going to heat them up. And yeah. I think I think we scored like seventy six points that game. It was something unreal. He set some record for touchdown passes, and and it was just it was crazy. And it was also crazy, like you said, and something I never really thought about, which was like how smart he must have known to know who's coming, to know where he's not protected, because he got the ball out just so fast, incredibly, incredibly fast. You make you make people pay when you understand those things about the game. I think that's uh, that. Um, that's that stands out and it says there that's again a great example of a guy prototypically is is not what's fitting for the nfl and um, um for, even for college i mean try being a six foot tall you know quarterback right. you know, pro style quarterback trying to get recruited it's, it's really really difficult um at a high level um and and that's where you know I always tell people like what I do as a, as a, a throwing coach that, that that'll get you on the field, but what keeps you on the field is upstairs and everything up top. That's what's going to keep you on the field. I, I, you know, the throwing buys you the opportunity to show what you have. Um, you know, the heads up stuff that that's the stuff that's going to give you a career. What a, okay. I got to ask the million dollar question then. So you've been in Cali, you've been in Texas, you've been in Florida. Where, where are the best quarterbacks at? Ooh, quarterbacks. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, ooh. Well, I think I think I right, think about and you can, and you can go you can go yeah. like per capita. That's fine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. The thing about California, just the pure volume. Um, I, I saw some amazing numbers of kids. It, I I didn't fully understand it. Um, 
but in the area we lived in Northern California, there was, uh, you know, we had De La Salle, um, Monta Vista, San Ramon and Foothill. And there's a bunch of other schools in that area that are, that are really, really good. But there's a conference there, uh, East Bay athletic conference, and they have produced, I mean, in the last maybe 15 years, it's probably close to 20 division one quarterbacks. Um, it might even be more than that. Um, and it, it was, I mean, every, if the expectation is D one at all those schools, um, and, and, and so that was really interesting to see. And then you've got Southern California, which is obviously a hotbed. Um, what you get in Texas is I think you get, um, a, maybe a little bit better level of athlete. Maybe a, you get definitely a more well coached and that's not a knock on the California coaches. It's just, the structure of football here is, is, you know, coach friendly. They get paid well, they get a lot of support from the community and people are absolutely crazy about it. Um, Florida hands down has got the best athletes in the world, you know, oh. so, you know, <laughs> yeah. they get some dudes that come out of there um, that, that are unreal. So they're always going to, yeah, it's going to always be between really California and Texas. I think just, just purely the volume and the level of football. Um, but some of the best talent you'll ever see will come out of, come out of Florida. And you know what? I would be disrespectful leaving out Georgia. I think Georgia had, they pay yeah. Texas money. They have Florida athletes. Um, the, they, I think actually they just passed California or one of the States for D one um, division one prospects period that are playing right now. Um, and so quarterback, they, they, they pump out a ton in that area every single year. Yeah, the, the, interesting, the interesting thing to me is it seems like, and, and that's from watching very little, the very little high school Texas football I get to see is like, it seems it's, it's kind of cool regionally. It's like in Texas, the games that I've seen, it's like we're going to put our best athlete at quarter, other than some, you know, some teams aren't going to be like that. South Lake Carroll may not, but there's a lot of those teams that you go down and watch in Texas and they're like, who's our best athlete? Let's put him at quarterback and let him roll. And we'll see see what what happens from there. You know, I see that a lot in Texas. and. And, uh, you know, it makes for some really interesting, fun football to watch. Yeah, we're in the land of the RPO, um, uh, what I'm le learning pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the, uh, uh, it's, there's a lot of uh, – um, you can put a different type – depending on what focus, you know, focus the RPO is. Um, but you, you see a lot of guys – a lot of run-focused spreads. And, and tell you what, man, the game is easier to coach when you have a quarterback that can run. I mean, there's sure. no doubt about it. I've heard guys <laughs> at, at a very, very high level and, you know, make statements on, on dual threat quarterbacks that were like, man, like, that's how you think about it. That's, that's pretty interesting. You know, it's just like, there's the play I call and then there's the play that they do when I call the wrong play. And, you know, <laughs> that's what happens, man. It's crazy. Uh, and then my other big question is, if you have a kid that comes in with the yips, What's your what's your what's your go to? He's got to change his his golf tee to his left ear and <laughs> pocket into his back pocket, or how do you how do you get rid of the the yips? Because I've seen that a few times, and we had a kid, you know, a kid that we thought were, was really good. The next year, come in and he's just he's bouncing everything and throwing it way over everyone's head, and you're just like, where's the kid so from last year? Was it a, a psychological thing, or was I it? I have like no he, idea. He, I know nothing <laughs> about quarterbacks. Yeah. All Harper was all Harper was saying, just hey, throw it to the open guy, Danny. Let's <laughs> go. What are you doing, right? Um, gosh, you know, I, I think a lot of the times there. I mean, for myself, I can usually watch a throw and understand where the the breakdown is going to be pretty quickly. I mean, it takes a couple throws, and I can kind of see, okay, 
this is this is they're kind of living on the edge of something that's going to either go right or go wrong um you know every throw and so sometimes they'll hit it and sometimes they won't um a lot of the times it's just kids don't don't understand enough about their throw or their the way they move um because they haven't thought about it much when things go wrong um they don't have a they don't have a good um you know self correction system basically right so what you find is that at the NFL, you know, when a guy's been throwing for 20 years of his life, he feels everything so, so well. So if the mm-hmm. ball goes wrong, they know like, ah, you know, I was a little bit off balance here or I, 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 I didn't do this well. And even if they've been coached or not highly, they just they get that because of pure volume and reps. So, you know, I take pride as a coach of trying to trying to help kids really understand their throw and, and why it goes bad and why it goes good. And, and then you get out of the situation where you've got a kid that's just like a, uh, one day he's throwing well, one day he's not, you know, he's kind of feeling it. it. It sucks to have a kid that's just, you know, feeling it. You know, I want a kid that has a switch on off, you know? And, and so a lot of that I think is just, them having a clear understanding of, of the fundamentals. Uh, sometimes it happens. They go get coached up in the off season by someone that's like got this great idea about changing how they hold the ball and changing their grip because this is, you know, uh, scientifically proven to work uh, and, <laughs> and then it just destroys everything. Right. And, and so, you know, that's where you got to be careful, man. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a tough one. The yips. <laughs> Not what you want for sure. No. <laughs> no, there might, there might, the solution might be wide receiver. <laughs> and then if he can't right. catch it, if he can't catch it, he's got to go to DB. I know, man. You got the the, uh, the Iowa uh, model, right? They recruit all the athletic quarterbacks that don't, you know, and switch them to defense and make them linebackers and safeties, man. That's right. That's what they did at Houston. They lied to all of them. Bringing yeah. all these dual threat guys that you know yeah. that that OU wanted as a corner, but they want to play quarterback, and so yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, come on. They played quarterback for one summer, seven on seven, and they say, "Hey, you just don't have it. We're going to switch you to corner." <laughs> yep, that's hilarious. Yeah, uh, exactly well, um, you know, it's been a little over an hour, and so we'll, yeah. we'll kind of wrap it up. My my last question always is, and you watch a lot of football, and and obviously a ton of NFL film, so. When you're watching, uh, obviously mostly quarterback, but also offensive line. So when you're watching uh, another team's offensive line, uh-huh. what's something they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Ooh, okay, great question. Um, so I there there's kind of like a uh, there was a, a clip I saw. I think it was the Eagles offensive line. Maybe I don't know if it was last year, it was the year before, but there was um, the the center snapped the ball, and all of a sudden he like dropped and almost pulled outside of the left tackle and like blocked this blitzing linebacker off the edge, and it was like a thing of absolute beauty. It was like number one, how did he see that happening? Hmm. How did he know to get there? And and I'm sure they talked about it a ton and worked on it, but. There's a there's a level that's like a a, a level it's like a a well orchestrated dance where it's like you know and I think that's really where we talk about a unit where they all work together right you see that double team and and they work to the next level in the run game um, and and I'm also a sucker man for like uh, I'm on it um, with with quarterbacks you know I I don't like 
prima donna. I don't like softness in, in quarterbacks. Can't stand it. I, I want a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Like I, I want the kid that wants to like go play safety because he thinks he can knock someone's head off. Um, and I want a kid that like, you know, doesn't care about, um, I mean, you could, you could, you could dress and be swaggy to a certain point, but you got, you can't have like a, there's a wristband ratio. You got to, <laughs> but like that level of toughness, uh, no visors. Yeah. No visors. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, but I, I love, you know, oh, oh, uh, quarterbacks that kind of, they have a thing with their O line and you can see that like there, you know, there's a connection there. You really see that, that level of toughness and respect between the two parties. Um, yeah, so toughness, I just love it. I love, like, you know, seeing aggressive guys. Like the Notre Dame offensive line, um, I have a quarterback that, that I've worked with quite some time that's, at, that, that's at, um, at Notre Dame, and I got a chance to watch, you know, some film on uh, the two guys that got drafted super high that, man, they're just so mean. I love it. <laughs> I love mean, aggressive. I, I want the guy that you'd never want on the other team, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you hear, like, that old line is so dirty. I'm like, well, as long as it's our line, I'm cool with it. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Sign them up. Yeah. 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 I'm hoping I'll have an O-lineman in the family, but we're all too uh, out frames. I didn't marry a big enough woman, unfortunately. <laughs> that's probably a good thing for I you, though, right? I was about to say, that's got to be a good thing yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> Quarterback, quarterbacks always get the good girls, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, Will, man, it's been a blast. Like I said, we could sit here and talk to you for hours upon hours, but I appreciate it, man. We'll, we'll let you get back to it, and I'm sure you'll be a, a repeat guest. So when you, yeah. you find some new stuff and you read some new books, man, make sure you let us know, and we'll get you back on the podcast. Yeah, I love. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's, it was a really awesome conversation. I love mixing it up and you know disrupting but helping the industry, man. I think if we all come together and find better ways to do things, uh, we can make this great game of football hang around a lot longer. So appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.